I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, an artist and psychoanalyst based in Sweden, and this is episode 264 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. Today we have a very special episode, a conversation between two master magicians, Carl Abrahamson and Nikolai Dematos Frisvald. Carl Abrahamson is a Swedish author, publisher, and filmmaker. His books include Source Magic, Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan, and A Culture from Inner Traditions, Resonances from Scarlet Imprint, and Chimera Obscura, Codex Nordica, Different People, The Devil's Footprint, Mother Have a Safe Trip, and the Fenris Wolf series from his own publishing company, Trapar Books, Films, and Editions. You can visit the main website, trapar.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. Carl has also recently started a new YouTube channel, all his own. That's youtube.com forward slash at Carl Abrahamson 23, where he's collecting together his various lectures and podcast interviews. So be sure to check it out. Nikolai Dematos Frisvald is a native of Norway and resides in Brazil. He's lived there since 2003. He's a psychologist, anthropologist, and master brewer. During the last 25 years, he's traveled extensively in search of traditional wisdom and spiritual legacies, with particular focus on African and Afro-derived traditions, along with what is generally defined as traditional witchcraft in Europe. This has led to deep involvement with several streams of wisdom, such as traditional Ifa, Haitian voodoo, Palo Meombe, and Kimbanda. Frisvald has an interest in spiritual philosophy, occult history, and aesthetic language used to describe and understand tradition, spirituality, sorcery, and witchcraft as exemplified in his books from Scarlet Imprint, Palomeombe, Pampagira, Eshu, and Ifa. Frisvald arranges workshops, courses, and events of a spiritual and psychological orientation, as well as initiations at his home in the Brazilian countryside with his wife. They also offer spiritual, magical, and astrological services and products through their store, sacredalchemystore.com. Articles, news, and updates can be found on his blog, The Starry Cave. Links to everything can be found at the main website, renderingunconscious.org. There is a video of this conversation at our YouTube channel. Just visit Chapar Films YouTube page. Huge thanks to everyone at our Patreon for supporting this podcast. Your support means the world. I do everything for rendering unconscious podcast on my own. I find the interviews, I book them, I do them, I edit them, I post them and promote them every week. And the support I get from the Patreon community really means a lot. So thank you to everyone there. You can join if you're only interested in rendering unconscious podcasts. You can join at the $2 level to show your support. 
If you're interested in magical and creative practices, you can join at $5 and up where we have a lot of different things. We post exclusive content every week at $5 and up at our Magic Monday posts. And just recently, Carl has also started writing weeklies, weekly essays that he's been posting to our Patreon on Fridays. So now you get exclusive content on Mondays and Fridays at our Patreon. So join us there, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Your support is greatly appreciated. Great. Well, I'm so excited to have you both here. Welcome to Rendering Unconscious. Thank you. Where would you like to begin? Well, I thought, uh, you know, me and Carl, we have very similar backgrounds. You know, Scandinavians with this, uh, we both with, uh, had this infatuation uh, starting our magical uh, thinking and uh, talk with Topir, with uh, Spare, with, uh, with these kind of things. But we ended up in quite different uh, corners of the world and there may be uh, different avenues, but uh, in the end, maybe it's not that different after all. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because uh... Uh, when I think of you, of course, it's part of what you're doing now and the great books and stuff like that. But it's also our past. You know, we crossed paths and and uh, this. I remember specifically the, th- the thing that you were part of organizing uh, called uh, One Thousand Years is More Than Enough. <laughs> I hope you can recall that. <laughs> and it was basically a very, very distinctly anti-Christian um, I don't know, not a call to arms, but it was a festival, right? And it was a lot of um, action around that thing that I found extremely invigorating and um, totally on the same page with uh, quite an anti-Christian stance in Topi at that time. Not so much in, this, in the early OTO days for me, but decidedly in, in uh, Topi. So that was very interesting how... But perhaps not so surprising after all. We both come from from uh, very very secular um, and forward thinking countries. Norway, I would say, is slightly more Christian than Sweden, uh, but still, it's the same kind of mind frame. And and it was so interesting what was going on then, um, how all of these weird things happen at the same time, where I think you and I and several other people were sort of the sane people, <laughs> the sane occult people, whereas there were many who were involved in other subcultures that were kind of actually in, clinically insane in that sense, and, and sort of, um, or, you know, being borderline, uh, created some interesting art along the way, but it certainly had nothing to do with, you know, what I think we're after, some kind of individuation process or refinement. It was just... Uh, real uh, reactive angst. And I think a great deal of that has to do with the fact that we come, or we have all come from very secular cultures. Um, that's a huge topic in itself, you know, what does that kind of culture create in terms of, of uh, reactions? But then of course, um, uh, I see myself very much as having drifted out into the world but very much attached with a very good Swedish rubber band. So I always sort of, um, you know, uh, went back with the same intensity as I went out there, sort of like an intellectual Viking. Uh, so I never really settled somewhere else, but I was certainly active in, um, you know, roaming around and seeing what was out there. And I'm very happy about that. Yeah. 
And uh, I think uh, we both in different ways did the same because uh, so when I was a teenager in Norway with this uh, awakening your uh, interest for the occultism and uh, spirituality, uh, it was really not very much uh, options. Uh, what we had, it was Freemasonry, OTO, Amork. Yeah, that's it. Uh. So I do remember that uh, this kind of different interest with Topi and uh, especially, and then OTOA, you know, Michael Bertio, and uh, this is uh, so. For all these people that was working with more uh, conservative, uh, well-established traditions, uh, I guess I was a crazy one. <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't know how it was for you, but uh, I think uh, yeah, this uh, search for the individual for yourself, who am I in all this? Uh, I'm doing magic because why? Uh, at least that was important for me, and I, I didn't manage to really find this in uh, these more kind of established orders, and became very false, very dogmatic. So kind of do it in this way, and it will be fine, and then it's good. But uh, where is me in in this? Uh, so for me, if you remember, Topi was uh, I, I think he had a. a I'm so happy that uh, this came across in my path because at the same time as you, you kind of entered very much uh, anti-establishment, you know, uh, I think it was more about uh, thinking, questioning, and uh, focusing on uh, the creative expression of you, a kind of focus on uh, authenticity and integrity in a very different way than uh, we were accustomed to in uh, like uh, more traditional orders, if it's Golden Dawn or Freemasonry, that's... Uh, well, after a time you realize that they're not really focused on magic as such, right? <laughs> so when you wanted magic in your life, you had to look uh, elsewhere. So, uh, for me, it was Topi, it was Amukos, it was uh, OTOA that, uh, that kind of uh, was embracing more the, the personal journey within a, a more flexible context. And then I did like you, I went out in the world, <laughs> but I never came back <laughs> to Scandinavia. I uh, migrated well and good instead. So for, for you, Carl, how, how, uh, what made you decide to kind of uh, uh, go out in the world, you know, meeting uh, Jen, meeting uh, Anton, meeting all these uh, people that uh, influenced us, but, and bring it back home to your kind of crib, your base. Yeah, I think think it's uh, there's some kind of uh, psychological fundament there, uh, and I think that um, if you go back to almost the childhood, but definitely young teenage years, I think I was caught up in something. That, you know, making me feel special by being interested in very special things. And it began with, with uh, of course, weird kinds of music. But before that, it was also uh, comics, you know, American underground comics, French adult comics. They're really kind of weird stuff that you could actually find in Stockholm in very specialized bookstores. And also my parents had uh, many, many um, uh, friends in the U.S. And they used to send me cool comics, you know, like more mainstream Marvel comics. And I was a very... Um, I don't know, infatuated in a way, because none of my friends 
were into that. So that made me special in a way. So I think it began there and then it sort of carried on into just, you know, the resonance, the immediate resonance you feel with certain music. And, you know, some things can be hip or cool at the time, but you know right away when something really touches you. And for me, that came very much with, um, uh, you know, like the first wave of industrial music with Robin Grissel and and the post-punk, not necessarily the punk, but so... I always liked to write. So what did I do? Well, I had a fanzine for comics and I had the lollipop fanzine for music and trash culture. And that sort of morphed into uh, the Fenris Wolf under Topi's umbrella. Uh, so it was always me being kind of a, a mini uh, journalist in a way, an amateur expressing really the the, the uh, ME, the amour uh, aspect of amateur. amateur. And, and then just bringing things in, contextualizing things, and then giving it back to people, like with the little fan scenes, for instance. And and that became also a career choice. I, I walked down uh, a thin and narrow path of journalism, um, but I sort of left it fairly quickly. Uh, but it was still the same kind of mind frame. I'm good at putting these things together, um, expressing them in my own words in a way, and showing people in Sweden uh, what's out there. It became, it was not a calling, like on an intellectual level, say, I need to do this in some, you know, quest or whatever. It was just that I wanted to relay, relay stuff that had affected me deeply, whether it was art, occultism, uh, extreme culture, underground, whatever, you know. Um, and I think I'm I'm doing that. I'm still doing that. Now it's, it's about sort of, you know, magical anthropological approaches and cultural aspects and forgotten things and, you know, uh, because I, I, I just love them. I dearly love finding these things out. I'm a little, what do you call it, like a little truffelsvin, um, uh, a little truffles pig, uh, you know, <laughs> ro roaming the forests and digging <laughs> and then finding the good stuff and then sharing it uh, with, with other people. That's how I look at it. So I think uh, originally it was a psychic fundament. I wanted to feel special somehow. Uh, it, that could have been like... Um, an um, adaption or um, a decision almost, but the real passion very quickly took over. And I'm still sort of riding that same wave today, although it's taken some, you know, um, other thematic uh, expressions. I see. No, because uh, this as well, you know, my, uh, my original plan really uh, was to, uh, to do cinema to study cinema, to be a director, to uh, to go out and, uh, uh, you know, inspired by the surrealism and uh, <laughs> that was my my plan. And uh, instead it became a kind of a, a little hunt, a search for the, the holy grail, for the, the culture of the witches, for the essence of the mysteries, you know, so I, I never managed to, to kind of have time to do both. <laughs> so because uh, going after these more traditional uh, faiths and religions, oh, it takes time and involvement to to really get uh, a grapple around this. So uh, uh, it's not lost on me really. Uh, still to kind of uh, take it down to to cinema movies is still a kind of uh, thing I want to do uh, in my life. If, if it's fiction or ethnography or whatever is, is not that important. I, I think I'm uh, currently more in this more fictional uh, <laughs> avenue, which I think is uh, 
is is a great language to communicate uh, what you want to share as well, isn't it? To tell the good story. And uh, like in in your latest book, Source Magic, I think uh, you you managed to bridge this very well. You know, telling the good story based upon your personal experiences, but with a lot of enlightenment within each of the the, the stories that you are telling. Uh, but also, I. Uh, it's kind of interesting. It's the same thing with me. Music, so important, right? You know, the industrial and music, Chopin Gristel, uh, all these things that happen in Sweden as well in the same time. Uh, what is called again? Deutsch uh, Nepal and uh, what was called? Yeah, it called Meet Industry. Exactly. Mm. That old Meet Industry was uh, very radically good in, in that time as well, right? Uh, but I, uh, beside this, I think also from 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 me, you know, the the beatniks, Kerouac, Kenny Miller, uh, and also poetry was very important. You know, I I, I wanted to to live in a world that was more uh, poetically uh, free, that was sensible and sane for me at least. So Baudelaire, Abor, all these uh, poets of the soul of the. Uh, the world, uh, I think they created a, a thirst and a hunger for, uh, for a world that was more rich than uh, what was offered in, uh, in a very conform and uh, more atheist and uh, religious Scandinavia where we grew up. It's kind of everything very safe, secure, predictable, right? So, um, Yeah, it's kind of, I never thought really how much, uh, how, how important these influences were for kind of uh, the, the courage to go out in the world. Huh? Because when you, are, when, you <laughs> when you have these kind of role models or people that inspire your own journey, that uh, were on this same hunt or uh, people of vision on this hunt for integrity, illumination, uh, finding the secret of being, uh, you know, okay, let's go on the road and see what happens. Kind of mentality was very good to avoid being stuck in uh, some intellectual cave, uh, just uh, pushing the same uh, dirt around for each corner. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think uh, all these uh, is, uh, is, uh, these people in music mm -hmm. and in, uh, writing, they, they did inspire uh, a lot of uh, uh, all this journey, really. Mm. Uh, I, I totally agree, and and it just uh, goes to prove again how important it is, even in you know strictly spiritual context, with this kind of inspiration of people who have gone gone before us, and it could also be you know as you say, uh, beatnik authors or or uh, fringe philosophers or or poets. It's just that they had the audacity to express something that went against the grain. And it's not necessarily to go against the grain consciously, like to be a little rebel. Uh, they just were that by being so true to themselves. And I think that the the dilemma, which I think um, that both you and I have sort of overcome <laughs> a long time ago, actually, is when you're young, you get inspired, you get passionately inspired and sort of fueled up by this uh, you know, passion for life, basically, and you want to do so many grand things, but then sort of 
consensus reality as a way of pulling the people, the young people back into you know normality or safety or safety in numbers, safety in material things, and and that's completely understandable. Um, but I don't uh, feel that I did that. I sort of stuck. Uh, for good and bad, I should say, uh, with my own vision, with my own will, will, and I think you've done the same thing. And then suddenly you realize, whoa, I'm 57. That's amazing. I'm still doing this again for good and bad. Uh, but the uh, there's no turning back, especially not now. You can turn back when you're younger and say, you know, wow, I had this amazing um, psychedelic trip or whatever. But that doesn't mean that I want to devote my life to studying, you know, uh, eth ethnological aspects of psychedelic culture. Uh, but for some people do because they... For them, it's so important and relevant. And also this relaying thing, because both you and I are relayers. We go through things, we, we learn things, and then we reformulate them and present them to, to um, I guess, a new generation or several uh, and new environments that would never otherwise come across these things. And therefore, I think we're good little, um, you know, uh, good word here, illuminators, perhaps, and maybe that sounds grand, but you know, we we uh, certainly do our job. And I think the fuel now comes from us having been diligent and persevering, and um, you know, occasionally successful, and just you know, sticking with it. I think it, that that's the key thing. You have to um, just keep working, even though it's easy to become a solipsist. You know, no one understands me, whatever, um, and. Um, I don't think I, I seem to care less and less about those aspects. I just want to keep working. No, I, I completely agree with you. It's uh, of course I had my moments of uh, hubris. You know, youth always brings some kind of uh, bad, uh, negative faces of uh, arrogance and hubris, right? Because of one's accomplishments. But uh, it's true with age. Uh, this is. Uh, you know, just peeling off like uh, like bad skin all the time. It's, uh, uh, I don't think I'm very, I was never very mission-oriented. I was always very vision-oriented. And uh, for me, everything with writing or art or whatever, it, it really was first for my own benefit, you know, to make sense of this. And then it just uh, became automatic that, okay, so I... Uh, uh, this way of sharing, really, to to kind of uh, communicate uh, great, fantastic uh, things I found that was good for me, and share with others because this, ah, if it's good for me, maybe it's good for someone else too. Absolutely, and, uh, I think that's true for for inspiration also. You know, it doesn't perhaps need to be um, knowledge or wisdom. It can suffice with inspiration because uh, I found that early on that whoa, this inspired me so much, and I'll relay that to people. And even that inspiration I felt sort of comes across and then inspires other people. And then, of course, if that's attached to a teaching or a cluster of of knowledge. Um, then that can be very a uh, substantial change for them in a good way. But uh, for me, it's always been like the, the inspiration is the first door opener in a way. Through that, and uh, also I think uh, your point with uh, this, uh, you know, the endurance that you are kind of keeping on and keeping on and keeping on. And uh, yeah, you are absolutely right. By now there is uh, I'm fifty three. There is no return. You know, it's kind of it's. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just the way onward. It's uh, a time for a rebellion against uh, what you did. Is uh, is a long goal. Way past. So how did you end up in Brazil, Nick? Yeah, I ended up in Brazil because uh, first I went here to make uh, field research for university. And uh, I always thought that Brazil was too dangerous to visit, really. So even in all this kind of uh, traveling around in the world, I kind of placed Brazil a bit, uh, you know, a bit far away. But, uh, well, a good 20 years ago, I uh, found the courage to go to a country where I was expecting to be uh, mugged and beaten on the airport and uh, do my field uh, research. <laughs> of course, it didn't happen. Though. Uh, but I, I was very lucky, really. It's, uh, back then, access to Kimbanda, for instance, it was very difficult in uh, the region of Sao Paulo and Rio and so on, because it was basically treated as a secret cult. Right, so you needed to to either uh, have um, access to other people or access to uh, initiations in other calls that gave you access to the right kind of people. So I had luck in uh, this regard, and uh, in this uh, metier of uh, research, one of my informants had a good friend that uh, became my wife. So. It was a kind of uh, double falling in love. Falling in love with Brazil, and then with Kachi, my wife, and well, then it was just one solution left, it was to migrate. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. And and um, it's just, um, yeah, for me, it's, we have been, or I have been, maybe you also, Vanessa, I think uh, we went to uh, Colombia, which is on the other side, uh, but that's the only time I've been in in, uh, in Latin America. And for me, it's always been this incredibly interesting uh, continent, of course, filled with magic, but also great literature. And that, for me, has always been like a uh, kind of a, a litmus test. Um, does this culture produce, or this re region, whatever, an interesting literature? And they certainly have. Um, if, and they you know, love psychoanalysis. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now we're down in Argentina. <laughs> Or in Brazil, but in Brazil and Mexico yeah, yeah. and everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so no, so it's really fascinating because um, I was always uh, attracted a lot by by North America, and that I think was cultural imperialism infusion at an early age that just made me um, feel very much a part of it. And then, of course, the fact that I, when I went over there the first time I was so incredibly welcomed by these, in my mind, giants, you know, I've been very influential for me. It was like an op open door policy and that really changed my life. But my real attraction in a way, in terms of the uh, mysterious or, or uh, um, possibly revealing some great mysteries always lay to the East, you know, I was always um, uh, Tibetan Buddhism and Tibetan proper and, you know, and Nepal and stuff, and I, I went to those places uh, later on, and certainly had interesting experience there. Uh, but it's strange, I think, how we can sort of end up in both geographical and uh, places, and also places of uh, spiritual affinity in a way. Uh, you're in the place geographically where you feel connected to the, the spiritual 
um, affinity. Um, and I'm, I'm very curious about that too. And I remember thinking about it when I started to leave the merely causal magical development of you know learning this ritual in in that western system or this and that <laughs> basically leaving the mental intellectual stuff and thinking about you know you know um, transmigration of the souls and reincarnation you know uh, are we locked into our genetics are we locked into the land you know stuff like that because i noticed my budding interest in Asa through the, the old Asa gods and rune magic and stuff like that being in Scandinavia then almost you had this sort of weird stamp that it could only be uh, written about by these American slightly you know uh, kitschy people uh, otherwise you had some stamp of, of uh, I don't know extreme kind of Germanism um, it felt weird uh, but I did like it very much at the time. And that's, I think, was the origins of my speculations. You know, is this because I'm Swedish and have been for many, many, many generations? Or is it the land that's affecting me? Is that kind of magical, uh, is there a magical egregore um, hovering over the land in a way? Um, I still don't know. But I don't think that uh, you feel a stronger affinity with something that comes from the land where you've been born. I do think that that it is much more on a, well, let's call it uh, the level of the soul in a way, which then you know inherently implies that souls travel from from incarnation to incarnation. And I'm more prone to believe in that now, uh, because why else would I have been so attractive attracted to to sort of asian magic and asian philosophy being just this weird little kid from sweden with no real asian infusion my infusion came from the us <laughs> so so i would like to ask you that question you know um do you think that there was more magical or or uh, even loftier reasons why you chose to first of all study something in brazil that actually made you move to brazil find love in Brazil, work in Brazil, with Brazil, in a way? Yeah, uh, good question, really, because uh, uh, I do think that uh, the, the attraction uh, for us growing up uh, in the time we did in, uh, in a very conservative Protestant country uh, like Scandinavia is... Uh, was little options, so uh, everything new and exotic would kind of, ah, and if it has a foundation, some tradition, you know, that we could see that uh, there is a philosophy behind here, it, uh, it would appeal to, uh, uh, you know, intellectual people that wanted to, uh, to be more or what, what we were, right? So, uh, for me as well, I uh, think it better, yes, I, I had a little bit of a conflict with this. In uh, with this kind of so I'm I'm really attracted to these African things, these outlandish things, this uh, far away. Is it just because it's exotic and different and weird, you know? So uh, I had these kind of uh, questions myself, but uh, uh, I I think it's. Uh, in, in the first place, it, it is born from this, uh, this lack of options that, uh, that we had, you know. So, yes, it was a bit uh, this, uh, the, what is different, this, uh, it's attractive, what is uh, in, in your case. So, uh, it, it had a, 
more closer cultural language for you, you know, America. So uh, I think you had perhaps a kind of poster and greater kind of merging with, uh, with what you were searching for. For me, it took, uh, took of course, more time because uh, uh, even being fortunate with uh, gaining access quite easy, uh, which is very uncommon, uh, which I learned over, over time that is, is not uncommon, right? Uh, of course, I had periods where it's kind of, hmm, is this a calling? But I, I never like it, this uh, thing with spiritual callings, you know, it's kind of because if someone calls you and you follow, then uh, it kind of it's working against this uh, anti-authoritarian, anarchistic uh, soul of mine, you know? So it's kind of, no, 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 I will decide. So uh, I was always a kind of a skeptical person with uh, the good fortune of access, uh, with this uh, thing in the back of my head that is kind of, I'm not doing this just because it's exotic and different, right? Uh, but I, I kept on. Because uh, in gaining access, in uh, meeting all these uh, good people willing to teach, I also taught very well, and I got kind of, wow, 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 fantastic. So uh, if it's uh, cults and religions in the Afro diaspora, if it's like Paulo, if it's uh, the Umbanda, Jurema, things here in Brazil, if it's Voodoo, if it's Ifa, I started to realize that uh, they were bound together by uh, uh, this, this kind of commonality or tradition and uh, thinking, you know? Uh, of course, in, like in Cuba, you see in Santeria that, uh, okay, they took on perhaps much more uh, Catholic and uh, European uh, thinking in their way or practicing uh, religion. And so for me, okay, I wanted more African <laughs> because this calls more to... Uh, uh, to something within, and uh, it took me, yeah, how much? Yeah, it was uh, some 20 years ago uh, when I really understood why. Because uh, Ifa, that they call Ishishe, traditional Ifa, is so not dogmatic. It is a, it's a practical philosophy. Uh, concerned with how to live life, with spirituality, how to understand this world, the invisible world, in such non-judgmental way that uh, I was kind of, okay, finally, here I am at the heart of everything that I was looking for. So, uh, having this as a base, uh, African philosophy that embraces everything in the world, okay. That's, uh, uh, that's kind of affirming the initial premise of the journey that I made uh, as a teenager, right? I wanted to, to find myself. I wanted to uh, discover why should I do magic? What is magic good? So in uh, this journey that uh, is kind of not a circle that led me back to Norway, but in this <laughs> journey that led me to a place of comfort, my uh, kind of, uh, what do you call it, haven? Yeah, went through all these African things. So uh, 
and I did this kind of DNA tests and all this and this kind of yeah yeah. There of course there is some African uh, remnants there. There is uh, stories in my in my family, but it goes so far away. You know that is kind of you know this this blood is so far away. It can't possibly be calling. You know it has to be something else. So maybe there is some some kind of uh, epi structure in the world that is uh, is just working upon. Uh, people in different ways because uh, after all you know it's uh, we, we do come from a common source everyone and uh, I think in in over evolution as human beings how uh, we are created into being what we are in conformity with uh, wants needs uh, childhood uh, society all this it's a lot of uh, Memories in our DNA or, or in our soul that uh, we just forget about. So maybe these uh, these appetites on uh, different uh, faiths, religions, cultures uh, is a resonance with with these kind of uh, forgotten things that uh, wants to be awakened again. I, I absolutely agree, and I think that. Um... I think maybe at some point in in source magic, I write about uh, sort of three three kinds of memories. There's of course the cerebral memory, and then there's the genetic memory, and then there's the soul memory, and that's just you know a model that people can accept or not. That's besides the point. But for me, it's been a use, useful model in trying to to think about these things, you know, because. The cerebral memory, that's kind of short term, you know, what happens in our life, we can remember that sort of causally, and then of course. Uh, the soul memory, if such a thing exists, is of course the most mysterious one. But the genetic memory is kind of undeniable, even as a kind of a you know critical against scientists and empiricism or accepting it. It's still something that is undeniable because we can see that. Well, I look sort of like a mix between my mother and my father. It makes sense, you know. But it also makes sense that uh, it's not just appearance. It's also mental qualities and all these things. And it's not a far-fetched idea, even from a logical point of view, that we are recording in life. And at the point of conception, when we conceive a child with someone else, you know, we hand over. That's that's an initiation. And that person is, is born with everything that came before me and, you know, the mother and all these things. And I guess that's a very, very long journey. And those little... Um, let's call it genetic hard drives must have a very, very high capacity. But then, you know, the, the question is, uh, again, why are we attracted to certain things? Well, we could experience things in childhood that affect us uh, also from what our parents have told us before we can start remembering and fairy tales read to us and these things. But I do believe that um, specifically when it comes to magical things and specifically at this uh, point in time and space there is a need also something that I, I think I write about in the book that there is a need for uh, an awakening it's, it could be a rude awakening or it could be a, a swift or a soft awakening but it's absolutely needed and that's why I think and you know other people also why there's so much magic around there's more magic around now in the overall zeitgeist Magic has always existed, but it's more taking more place now in the mainstream, in the zeitgeist, in, in these various um, cultural shapes. And, you know, 
uh, you're in Brazil, other people are other places, um, and not only experiencing it and using it for your you know, well-being in life, but also disseminating it, contextualizing it for other people. And that has a huge impact, you know, uh, probably a higher impact uh, than, you know, the, I don't know, di dilated or no, dil diluted version of, you know, Harry Potter magic or whatever. I think that from a mythological point of view, plays a good and important part also in changing the current mind frame, hopefully. Um, just the fact that magic exists on a higher level of awareness is not just something that is uh, dangerous or kooky or something having to do with, with fairy tales. It's an actual real thing. And I think it becomes extra uh, confusing for, for people or critics when people who are eloquent and who are um you know just like normal in a way and i would categorize both you and me in that um in that field also very good looking i should add um that we talk about these things it's not it's not just you know some some crazy academics or some crazy you know uh, wizards in the forest it's just like sane people talking about um uh, unconventional things and that i think is the reason why we have these huge successes of, uh, you know, Hilma Clint and other uh, older painters and artists, you know, and it, it's so, it's all over the place and there's so much going on in academia. And, and I'm sure that will have great effects, if nothing else, to create a wider and bigger library of esoteric texts and sort of contextualizing uh, those. Um, but I think something is going on. Um, you could call it the planetary intelligence or or whatever, you know, just uh, need to raise the level of awareness and consciousness, otherwise we're completely fucked. Uh, and um, that said, some people may be more susceptible, like us who grew up in Scandinavia, we didn't have, like, uh, we had um, Protestantism as a kind of... Uh, it's more like a moral code and, you know, work ethic, that kind of stuff. But it wasn't deeply spiritual, certainly not for me anyway. Um, so maybe we were more susceptible to like the far out, uh, provocative, really uh, passionate and ecstatic kind of stuff that the normies were afraid of in a way. But maybe this is our function uh, to raise the level of consciousness and awareness with these specific tools, whereas others could do it with, you know, some other tradition, um, but it's all the same work, basically. You know, we are attracted to it on a personal level, you know, refining ourselves, you know, individuation, you know, magical power, whatever you want to call it. But you, you come to, to realize that there's more to it than that. And that's the, you know, the positive effect that we can have on other people, inspiration or actual um, hardcore teaching. And that will have a cumulative effect that will hopefully make people change their way of looking at themselves and looking at the earth proper and looking at the interaction with other people. Um, I mean, here's to hoping. Uh, <laughs> on a good day, I'm an optimist. On a bad day, I'm a normal pessimist. Uh, but um, I guess all you can do is try. And I think that's exactly what, what you and I are doing. We're working hard at trying these things out. And it's a never-ending process. And, and the, it's fun, of course, and rewarding for us. Uh, but there, there's also something to it. And I don't think that's hubris speaking. I think it's just very important to, to lay the puzzle together. No, it's a, it's a beautiful vision, uh, Carl, and I completely agree.
is uh, makes me remember that uh, yeah uh, important thing actually from uh, from childhood that uh, about 10 years old i guess i i started seeing uh, you know spirits and ghosts and uh, having uh, weird uh, should we call visions so uh of course it's and with uh, uh with all this kind of just escalating well it was just uh two options either you have to figure out how to deal with this or you are crazy meaning clinical crazy uh so of course well study psychology not because i wanted to be a uh, figure out myself for all this, but uh, it just kind of happens. Uh, but yeah, if you see, it's kind of so at an early age, dealing with uh, what I would say, say a spirit intrusion, really. Uh, and then having this inclination towards uh, cults that are actively dealing with spirit in possession, in trance and all this. Of course, there is a kind of uh, a resonance there for why I went out. That is not just uh, because it's exotic. And uh, in this regard, I have to say that uh, especially Brazil has been uh, fantastic, really. Uh, one of the first things, uh, again, rem uh, remembering here, uh, after moving down here, was that, you know, magic worked so fast here, you know, results. It was like, in Norway, you are doing some heavy operations for little results. Here is kind of this, that, wow. <laughs> so it was like the whole atmosphere had a magical agility that uh, that was, of course, very intriguing, fascinating, uh, and great. Now I'm getting used to this, so now it's uh, working slower again, you know, in the usual way, but uh, <laughs> you get me. Is uh, but uh, this this thing that you are speaking about uh, to uh, make people realize how much magic it is in the world? Yes, it's uh, it's actually a very important thing because uh, it really is. And like here in Brazil, where basically everyone is uh, uh, that is involved in uh, in any kind of cult or spiritism here is uh, having uh, close and good interactions with uh, the other side, with their spirit guides and all this. It's, of course, open for a magical thinking and uh, acceptance of magic in another uh, difference. What I have to say is, uh, of course, Harry Potter is, a, is fiction, it's just a good story. But uh, on the positive uh, side, it, we have this thing that it reminds us uh, not to forget about the magic, which I think, yeah, is a, is a, I agree with you, it's a very important uh, point. Uh, I do, it's a little bit disappointed with the modern academia in this regard, because I, I think it's a kind of, um, you, you try to kind of straddle this kind of the, you as a practitioner and uh, you as an academic, to be kind of get academia to be a bit more like they were in the 60s and the 70s, right? A bit more open. I mean, Castaneda was published on a uh, university uh, press, you know? It's kind of get, get back a bit more of this, but 
no, I don't see this happening because now it's uh, it's all the kind of uh, it's all the type of focus in uh, academia with uh, even with these kind of things. It's uh, to understand the magic as a text as this and that, and it's uh, it gets very nerdy and very intellectual. I think uh, very often. Uh, not that this is uh, is a bad thing in itself, but uh, it's kind of it's, it's good to have uh, some contrast to make this uh, more modern. Uh, yeah, this uh, especially down here, I'm I'm a bit uh, kind of blind what is happening elsewhere in the world, but this uh, uh, hunt for re-signify everything, you know. Uh, it takes so the magic sure. out of it. Pardon? It takes the magic out of it. Yes, and it's this, uh, it's no problem, you know, with uh, we signify this and uh, kind of uh, see the deeper structure here and there and uh, analyze from, uh, I, I like all, I like a lot of this uh, more post-modern things myself, you know. Uh, but it's good to have some balance in uh, things, really. Mm. But that's the dilemma, isn't it? Is that the, the form is so rigid, you know, and that's, you know, that's just the way it is. So you bring in something that is completely immersive, irrational, uh, passionate, compensatory, deep, you know, psychological aspects, and then try to, you know, make sense of it, make academic sense of it, and look at, you know, actually avoid first-hand sources and only look to dead second-hand sources and revel in the footnotes. And it becomes like, uh, and then the rigidity, of course, you know, everything needs to be peer-reviewed and this and that. Um, it's like the ultimate cult, you know, yeah. it's so esoteric that no one uh, goes to a bookstore uh, we'll we'll buy that book because half the book is like footnotes and it's usually kind of dryly written, even though it might be a fantastic subject. So what do you do then? Well, then you buy the Harry Potter instead because that will take you you and your experience into you know sweeps you away into fantasy land, which is where the real action is, you know. And I find it kind of I don't know depressing is too strong a word, but having seen so many of my uh, friends go from being devout practitioners in different traditions uh, into the dark wetlands of academia, and they will never come out. You know, they're lost <laughs> because they changed. Uh, apparently, you know, on the surface, they seem to have changed their way of thinking, their way of acting. They are very uh, happy to be on the inside of the cult and they adapt to the cult's rules and the cult's language and um, the, you know, scrutinizing by the peers. Uh, and I think it's, um, yeah, sort of depressing. I'm very happy for them. I know, you know, best of luck. They can work with magic on that kind of hyper-intellectual level. And, and again, possibly that's also a piece of the puzzle that we were just talking about. The sort of making magic more visible is just they're making magic visible to another segment of the culture. And I think that's absolutely fine. And then the light pop entertainment uh, can do their bits and, and you and I can do our bits in our ways. Um, I guess it, it's all relevant in some way. But I have to say, to, to sort of emphasize that, it's remarkable how quickly this has been. You know, we're talking about the, the past 10, 15 years, and it's booming. And now there are chairs in this university and that university. 
they're all having you know conferences and, and uh, symposia about you know western esotericism and magical aspects of this and that it is i could never foresee that you know uh, 20 25 30 years ago that because then it was still a fringe thing you know occasionally someone wrote something under the umbrella of folklore under the umbrella of, of strict you know religious studies um but now every little more or less well-known magician <laughs> has had several theses written about them you know it's interesting but the dilemma is also if the person in question who writes that stuff doesn't get it then that's a lockdown in in kind of uh, granite it's chiseled out as the truth but yeah, this is what be. I'm wondering lately because I'm thinking of it. At first, I thought, oh, this is so cool. There's so much like people in academia writing about magical topics. But then it's like if the person's not thinking magically and they're just thinking in this like research scholar mode, then they write down all this information from a point of view that's like missing part of the magic. And then other people reference that as if that's true, like you're saying. And it's reminding me of like the whole problem with like the original like colonizers and how they like looked at all of these different cultures, like through their anthropological lens. But they totally didn't understand what was going on. They just read it through their like like Western mind frame and then wrote it all down as if this is true. And like all these people are primitive. And I think that the magical scholars, I think they think we are like primitive, like, oh, those people that are practitioners. And I think they want to distance themselves from us. And that makes me really mad, actually. <laughs> yeah. I have a bit the same impression. It's, uh, I think academia is wonderful. And uh, I'm so grateful that uh, I studied a lot and uh, it gave me a lot of uh, critical thinking right it's kind of but yeah i agree with uh, vanessa uh, is feeling is that uh, i i'm surprised as you that uh, it's so much uh, you know in vogue uh, discussed and all this but uh, yeah i I'm, I'm not quite understanding the purpose you understand it's kind of what is the so uh, is it just to kind of dismantle and uh, kind of uh, getting down, you know, some kind of weird uh, deconstructionism that is going on to kind of, yeah, it's this, you know, in the in the bottom, it's like this. Yeah, so what about, yeah, it's Vanessa says, and what about these guys that has been practicing this in uh, for 50 years then? Where is their voice? But I think it's, uh, is is most likely just a part of this whole kind of social change that we are going through. I think a lot of things is happening very fast uh, on a kind of cultural and social level uh, these days. It's uh, we're good enough for that, really. It's kind of <laughs> it's always this, uh, isn't it? Just a it's kind of this. I think we're seeing this uh, almost a kind of. Uh, Big post modern modern change, almost like uh, the, the Foucault be becomes a prophet in uh, foreseeing what would happen in uh, the world and academia with uh, you know with media, with the saturation, with the panopticon, with the interspaces, with uh, deconstructionism, with uh, everything that is kind of yeah we are kind of going through a uh, a change in uh, thinking, in culture, in uh, modality of uh, of everything. That uh, like every kind of transition phases will bring its uh, 
good parts, bad parts, and uh, make the world more uh, rich, you know? But uh, in this, uh, I think it always comes uh, a part of uh, confusion, a part of dogmatism, a part of uh, all this warrior spirit being used in bad ways, you know? <laughs> I just have to acknowledge as well, because both of you have written books that have really influenced a lot of people coming up and like have kind of created entire cultural scenes like Nick, like you said, like when you went to Brazil, there wasn't this access to Kimbanda and now Kimbanda is like booming, you know. So what, what has that been like for you all to like grow up without these kinds of sources and then be able to create them for new generations? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm a bit uh, a bit surprised, really, with uh, like Kimbanda how, how it's booming, right? Uh, and yeah, I do feel a bit, little bit responsible, but at the same time, uh, was it just that I was happening to be in the right place at the right time, and you know, take the course of time? I don't know, <laughs> because I I'm really. Uh, more a person occupied with, uh, I, I'm doing what I'm doing. And uh, I like to share the, the results of what I'm doing in hope that it can uh, benefit and clarify, you know? So very similar project as uh, Carl, just that uh, I don't think I had been very conscient about, uh, since I'm not seeing myself as a person with any kind of mission in the world as such, it's kind of, I, I don't think I, I've been very, clear with myself that uh, ah this is the thing it's just this kind of wow this is good shit i want to share it <laughs> mm -hmm. but i think that's that's why it has that uh powerful effect also because again it's permeated by passion you know that's the thing that's missing in the they could be brilliant academics but they they lack or they're not allowed to let the passion shine through and therefore their material will only be a stapling of facts upon facts upon facts and possibly some deductions of their own theories. Uh, but I think uh, you and I, we're, we're free. We're free to write in any way we want uh, and um, about what we want. And I think that, that curiosity and sort of uh, inner guidance in a way um, shines through. And that, that's really the key to it, I think. That's how you affect people. And as more... Uh, similarities with with uh, fiction in a way, not in the sense that it's you know not true, um, but the fact that it takes you on a journey when you're reading about it. Uh, there can be facts involved, um, but it's written such a way that it becomes a pleasurable experience uh, of reading. You want to go deeper into it because uh, you can feel the passion of the author. And that's true for so much literature uh, also. I mean, think about how many novels have been written. Uh, and of course, there's not enough time in one lifetime to read all of them. But when we find something that we like to read, we certainly won't you know, move in a different direction. We check out everything by that author and then reference, you know, who inspired this author, who inspired, and behind, you know, beyond that, behind that person who was beyond, beyond that author. And it's very much the same um, 
mini transcendence, I think is a key to it. We human beings need to transcend, whether it's, you know, getting drunk on a Friday night or getting high on a Friday night or whatever. People need that revelry, whether communal or on your own. And on, I guess on the most personal, intimate level, you have that um, personal relationship to fiction, for instance. It's a mini transcendence, reading a good book, watching a good movie, daydreaming to a piece of music, uh, doing your own ritual in a way. Um, it's reality, but it's also fictional in the sense that we drift off into uh, a deeper connection to our inner selves, you know, fantasies, compensations, all of these things. And um, um, I wouldn't be surprised if more people have been moved into greatness and a willingness to uh, develop themselves uh, through inspiring fiction and poetry and, and arts in general than by academic <laughs> by academic books. Yeah, but I, I also I, have to say, Carl, your instinct to kind of be this little journalist and document all these different artists and stuff has also documented like a whole culture with the Fenris Wolf and everything over the past like 30 years that otherwise, you know, wouldn't have been as cohesively documented. People would be putting it together, you know, now or later on otherwise. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely true. But I've never been formally ruled. I've never been restrained in a way by uh, by um, some kind of form. No, I know. I'm just acknowledging yeah. your greatness. Thank you. I love that with you. We Publicly. must up at some point. <laughs> <laughs> So, Carl, I think uh, our common uh, goal then with uh, what we are doing is actually to uh, become magic and uh, realizing all the magic in the world that is accessible and share with people how this can be accomplished. Yeah, uh, I think you're absolutely true. I think we're... Uh, sometimes uh, guided by higher or lower, I don't know, um, aspects of ourselves, uh, psychological uh, drives that may or not come from, you know, collective unconscious or cosmic forces. That's really besides the point also. I think the main thing is that uh, as human beings, you feel immediately when you're doing something that's not right, you know, called morality, whatever, but you have some kind of compass um, and, for instance, once you've found out what you want to do, like in the thelemic sense, you cannot, you know, go in a different direction because that will create incredible neuroses. And if you have this, um, it's not an interest for us, it's it's our life, you know, to research these things, to be in it, to work with it practically, and also to write about it theoretically. Um, it's, um, I don't know. Uh, it's a daily grind in the best possible way, but it's also something that is kind of uh, grand, sometimes a little bit terrifying, uh, because suddenly, if you look at it, we do have impact. It's not like we're in little, you know, black metal fanzines anymore. <laughs> it's we, We're becoming like, uh, well, I wouldn't say the elders quite yet, but we're sort of midpoint and we are formulating things that other people actually read and actually work with. Uh, so I think um, it's a big responsibility. And, and how we deal with that, I think, is just to stay true to whatever you find inside. And I think that's also one of the, might be one of the turning points 
in uh, possible evolution or development of this kind of negative inert culture. Um, the main controlling aspect of what Barros, of course, called control uh, and you know draconian forces uh, is basically where control says that what you're experiencing is not true because it's in the inner, you know, psychological or you know, and it's only what you experience in the outer you know, material realm, that's the truth, and we are defining it for you. But that goes completely against all of my own experiences, and I'm sure yours also, is that everything that happens on the inside, that's really the instigation, the, the beginning of everything that happens on the outside. And everything that we experience on the um, inside, whether it be dreams, you know, the dreams are fairly accepted as being, you know, normal, we sleep and we dream, and it's crazy. But if we have a meditation or or a daydream or just some you know silent thinking, uh, undisturbed, and and we get we a picture comes up or an idea comes up, that's also like what I call the epistemological pipeline. You know, whatever comes must be looked at as being true. Then you can validate and see does it have relevance for me right now. In, in what I'm working with, perhaps not, then I'll write it down and use it for, for uh, you know, in the future. But so many people deny themselves not only the pleasure, but also the validity and usability of what comes from themselves, because they've been so programmed to say that, you know, don't bother, it's not true. You know, and that to me is like the, the um, I don't know, it's a rape of the human soul that's been culturally systematized for, uh, and not just uh, in Christianity, I guess, uh, many monotheist cultures and also in other cultures uh, where it's more convenient that the single individual, uh, um, you know, doesn't stand out in that Japanese uh, way that the nail that stands out will be hammered down. Um, but just, um, I would hope for a development in this general awakening process that's hopefully going on that people come to trust whatever it is that they're finding on the inside. It's not just about taking um, outside stimuli in through the senses and sort of sorting it in a kind of mental uh, filing cabinet. It's also about what comes from the inside. And I think that that will be a key thing in, in turning this around, I think, that encouragement. Absolutely. And uh, when you see how kind of the, the levels of depression nihilism, feelings of meaninglessness uh, uh, is growing in the world. Yeah, I think we are going towards this, you know, it's a part of this uh, big movement of change, this kind of daily transformation that uh, is going on, that uh, hopefully will lead to something like this. And yeah, uh, let's keep on uh, sharing, you know, showing people that uh, at least uh, Two crazy guys from Scandinavia managed to uh, focus on uh, this uh, journey towards being true to themselves and uh, and see how that uh, would go in the world. And uh, until now, it went well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're the, we're the intellectual magical Vikings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> magical Vikings. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for being here. And you'll have to come back again sometime. It's really fun to talk to you both. Likewise, sure. likewise. Yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And, uh, you know, when uh, travels uh, bring you down here, it's uh, just to say uh, hi and 
Oh, I wish. I hope we get to go to Brazil one day. We'll definitely visit you if we can get down there. Yeah, be welcome. Okay. Thank you. And that goes for whenever you come back to, to Scandinavia also. Come to beautiful Vimmerby, home of Astrid Lindgren, Pippi Longstocking. I know where it is. So it's very yeah. beautiful. It's a charming place. <laughs> so, okay. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank and, you, guys. Okay. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a conversation between Carl Abrahamson and Nikolai Dematis Frisvold. Be sure to follow them both. They are both excellent, excellent magicians. Check out their books, their videos, their offerings. Links to everything can be found at the main website, renderingunconscious.org. As always, huge thanks to Carl Abrahamson for providing the intro and outro music for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. Be sure to check out his music at highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com and streaming on Spotify and other streaming services. And now the song, Introduction, You're Asleep, Awake from the album Night of the Hunter, a collaboration I did with UK Sonic Mastermind, Pete Murphy. Available at his Bandcamp, petemurphy.bandcamp.com, as well as at Highbrow Low Life's Bandcamp page and streaming on Spotify and other streaming services. Enjoy. Introduction. Often, our dreams are a way to encourage ourselves to remain asleep. You're asleep. You're asleep. You're asleep. You're asleep. You're awake. You're awake. You're awake you're awake you're you're asleep you're asleep you're you're asleep you're you're asleep awake you're awake you're awake you're awake you're Awake. You have been offered a choice. No, you cannot have both. <laughs>